This is the fourth day of this October 2020 five-day online session. And uh, we'll turn to a different text this morning, another of my favorites, another an anthology, a collection, and this is a book called Zen Essence, uh, The Science of Freedom. And this is translated and edited by Thomas Cleary. Uh, the, <clears throat> the master that we're going to turn to now is uh, Zen Master Yuan Wu. And uh, for each one of these masters, there's a little tiny bit of... Uh, biographical material. Uh, he's best known, uh, uh, wait a minute, his dates are uh, 1063 to 1135, which places him in the Sung dynasty. The Sung dynasty uh, is the one that followed the Tang dynasty. He's best known as the author of the Blue Cliff Record, uh, which is one of the collections uh, uh, we work on here, and uh, is, is, I, I've heard it is very highly regarded uh, just more broadly outside of, of Chan uh, as a literary classic in China. Um, yeah, that's enough, just that. And uh, we're going to actually pick up uh, a couple pages into this section on Yuan Wu uh, because uh, a couple years ago uh, we did the foregoing material. <clears throat> and uh, so this is less recent, what we're going to be reading now. Here is uh, Yuan Wu. Let go of all your previous imaginings, opinions, interpretations, worldly knowledge, intellectualism, egoism, and competitiveness. Oh, okay. Done. <laughs> that's that's a, that's a pretty pretty stiff assignment to let go of all that. And actually, we don't have to think about letting go of any of it because the letting go happens through our absorption in the practice we're working on. Don't make a project out of letting go of imaginings, opinions, interpretations, worldly knowledge, intellectualism, and egoism, and competitiveness. This is the great, the great simplicity of Zen practice. Uh, just just to become uh, merged with the breath or the koan or whatever in that fusion those all that stuff is let go of it slips away little by little usually sometimes in a, a chunk 
or two. I came up with this analogy of uh, daily practice as compared to session practice uh, with respect to a uh, the normal warming of a glacier in the springtime. I'm not talking about climate change, but you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago as well, where uh, in in the spring, as the temperatures slightly rise, uh, the the or an iceberg rather, an iceberg will slightly shrink just indiscernibly, little by little. Um, that would be daily practice. It's it's gradual, but it's it's uh, relentless. That warming through daily practice, that shrinking of the self, the I, the me, and the my, which is our iceberg here. Sashin, uh, then we have a chance to see this iceberg calve have these big chunks uh, split off and sink into the ocean. The two are related, of course. The, the calving, those great big mountains of ice that split off in the spring uh, is just the the effect of the warming up the the whatever insights or breakthroughs we have in session is very much related to uh, the daily sitting we do between sessions so the letting go don't worry about letting go just move just the breath. Our practice, whatever it is, is kind of our agent. It's working on our behalf if we give it half a chance. He continues, when you reach the point where feelings are ended, views are gone, and your mind is clean and naked, you open up to Zen realization. where feelings are ended. Uh, let's not misunderstand this. Uh, Zen has no quarrel with, with feelings or emotions. If, if it did, it would be anti-human, because that's all part of being human, having feelings and emotions. But in a state of deep absorption, we get underneath the feelings and emotions. We don't have to get rid of them. If we get beyond them. And even that is not something we want to try to do. Don't make a project out of... Uh, don't make a problem out of feelings. Uh, it's just something that that happens in deep states of concentration uh, where we reach this equanimity uh, that is really beyond feelings, not not uh, circling around them, not avoiding them, certainly not suppressing them, but just moving through and beyond them.
views are gone. Views is pretty much like opinions. And your mind is clean and naked. You open up to Zen realization. Opinions. We live in an age when we are everything around us is begging us for our opinions, our likes and dislikes, our thumbs up, our thumbs down. But we if we if we want to cling to our opinions, then we have to uh, pay the price. We just get more attached to them. The more we uh, display them or express them, the more bound to them we get. And uh, we sort of corner ourselves. Uh, many people obviously must enjoy voicing their opinions, uh, but it has nothing to do with finding real, real peace of mind. Zen is, is, is a process of losing. Losing what is not essential to us, what we don't really need. This is, uh, it's not just Zen, it's also in Taoism. Taoism, Zen was very much influenced by Taoism. There's a lot of Taoism in Zen. Uh, but one of the, the great two most famous Taoists, Lao Tzu, said, if we learn, we gain in knowledge day by day. If we act according to the way, the Tao, we lose day by day. The next uh, paragraph about resolve. He says, the way, the Tao, the Dharma, the way is arrived at by enlightenment. The first priority is to establish resolve. It is no small matter to step directly from the bondage of the ordinary person into transcendent experience of the realm of sages. It requires that your mind be firm as steel to cut off the flow of birth and death. Trust your original, real nature. Not see anything at all as existing outside or inside yourself. And make your heart perfectly clear without any obstruction so all actions and endeavors emerge from the fundamental. It's no small matter to reach awakening. It requires that your mind be firm as steel to cut off the flow of birth and death, meaning uh, our, our, 
uh, attachment uh, to things as we know them, our resistance to change. Trust your original real nature. Well, for someone doing breath practice, trust the breath. That's really what you're, what you're, when you're trusting the breath, you're trusting your true nature. The breath isn't a thing. Our true nature isn't a thing. We're trusting in the breath. We're trusting a living process of directly experienced. It's not a thing. It's change. It's change in the form of rhythm, a regular rhythm. It's been going on as long as we've been alive. It's trusting that rather than the stuff in our head. And then the same with a koan. Trusting just the koan you're working on, which is also not a thing. Trust seems to be a word that uh, some people prefer uh, to faith. Some people seem uncomfortable with the word faith. So, okay, call it trust. It's more secular. Some people are more comfortable with a more secular uh, vocabulary. doesn't matter. The, th the important thing is to, is to, yes, trust, but commit to this practice, to, to, which, which, which we need to do to, to really um, completely merge with it. Commitment may be, it may be the most important resource or asset that we can harness uh, to go far in Zen practice or any spiritual practice or anything. It can make all the difference in the world in one's, one's, one's life and what one accomplishes or fails to accomplish. There is a uh, wonderful passage on commitment uh, that appeared on the back page of uh, an old Zenbo, uh, roughly 1970. Um, and uh, it's it's something that one could use forever without exhausting it. And this is by W.H. Murray. And this is how it goes. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative 
and creation. There is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no one could have dreamt would have come his way. I have learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. What is your aspiration? Why settle for anything less than realizing who you really are, who and what you are? If you can commit to that, then from that follows the resolve, the determination. Don't shortchange yourself. Don't settle for less than you can really grasp what you can really see. This is a, a long path to, to truly finish it. I think you could say it takes lifetimes to really finish it. Uh, but it begins, as another Taoist, Shuangzi said, a journey of a, of, a, of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The first time we sit in Zazen is that step. And then attending a Sashin, even an online Sashin, it's all right because we're doing so much sitting. To do that is to take a big step. And it's just a matter of continuing keep keep it going it requires that your mind be firm as steel to cut off the flow of birth and death and is to get free cut off birth and death means to get free of the the suffering of, that comes with change, it comes with uh, attachment to things. And when he says it requires that you not see anything at all as, exi ex as existing inside or outside yourself and make your heart perfectly clear without any obstruction. You don't have to make a project out of that either. Same thing. Just lose yourself in your practice. And then you will come to see nothing as existing outside or inside yourself. And the heart growing clear, pure. 
without any obstruction. Yuan Wu continues, the essential point in learning Zen is to make the roots deep and the stem firm. 24 hours a day, be aware of where you are and what you do. That's the mindfulness side of Zen practice. Notice when your mind has wandered. Make the roots deep. The roots come from the meditation itself, sitting and moving. The roots is the root is no mind. When no thoughts have arisen and nothing at all is on your mind, you merge with the boundless and become wholly empty and still. Then your actions are not interrupted by doubt and hesitation. Nothing at all is on your mind. The uh, great Chinese master Deshan, uh, Toksan, put it this way, if you have no concern in your mind and no mind in your concerns, then naturally your mind will be empty yet numinous, calm yet sublime. No concern in your mind, not clinging to thoughts, thoughts of the past, thoughts of the future. And no mind in your concerns. Concerns, I, I wonder about the translation of this. Um, it may mean in your affairs. No, if you go about your affairs, your concerns, uh, no mindedly then naturally your mind will be empty and so forth. But it can also be concerns in the sense of uh, um, the other sense, more like worries. Well, there, of course there are times when we are concerned. If we get a call in the middle of the night that we weren't expecting, gets us out of bed, that invites a concern. But even there, if we are just responding and, and one with our concerns as we rush to the phone, uh, then that's all. That's all there is. Same with uh, fear. Um, if we are, if fear arises in us, uh, then just to be the fear or the anxiety, uh, 
without compounding it with thoughts. Just the, the fear itself, uh, just that direct, simple experience, emotional experience of fear, or anxiety, or anger, um, is, is not going to be a problem if we don't um, get tangled up in thoughts about the fear. Oh, I'm, I'm a Zen student, I shouldn't have fear. I shouldn't have anxiety. Nonsense. These are these are features of being human that to at times have fear and anxiety. It's what we what we want to avoid is um, getting binding ourselves to it with thoughts. That makes all the difference in the world, because the fear or anxiety or anger or whatever the emotion is will pass if we don't uh, make it worse with our thoughts. Here's a short one. He says, as soon as you sense any lingering or obstruction, all of it is false imagining. Just make your mind clean and free like space like a mirror, like the sun in the sky. Um, This word lingering that uh, is used here, as soon as you sense any lingering, that's exactly what we never want to do when we discover ourselves having been drawn into thoughts. We don't want to linger there. This is uh, probably the, the, the greatest uh, distinction between beginners and more seasoned practitioners is the beginners, when they notice uh, that they, their mind has wandered, are more likely to linger there and uh, uh, add, add to that uh, some, some inner dialogue, some commentary about having once again for the millionth time uh, been dragged into thoughts, whereas the more experienced practitioner will notice it, okay, for the millionth time I've been drawn into thoughts, and will not linger there, will not uh, in- involve herself or himself in uh, a commentary about it, but just go right back to the practice. Just that. No judgments, no commentary, this clean redirecting, pivoting back to the practice right away. No gap. Makes all the difference in the world. Another short one, step back on your own to look into reality long enough to attain an unequivocally true and real experience of enlightenment. Then with every thought you are consulting infinite teachers. Then with every thought you are consulting infinite teachers. 
I suspect here in this translation that uh, the original was the Chinese equivalent of Nen, the Japanese word Nen, N-E-N, uh, which is really impossible to uh, satisfactorily translate into English uh, in, a, in a very brief way. And uh, uh, I think thought is one of the most common ways that people do it. It really means, um, kind of means moment, one moment following another, but not just moment either. Uh, we, 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 we changed it. We now in our, in the uh, Kanongyo, this, we say, uh, this moment arises from mind. This moment itself is mind. Well, it's not exactly moment, but I think it's better than uh, what we used to have. We used to have this thought arises from mind. This thought itself is mind. Because it just means, uh, kind of means the, the, <laughs> kind of means our mind moment by moment. So, um, in, 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 in Zen, there's this like sequence. There's the first nen, second nen, third nen, fourth nen, and so forth. The first nen is where we want to be. The first nen is just direct experience, just hearing. Not even a label, a word for it. In that way, it's it's different from uh, naming, such as in uh, uh, one of the vipassana practices. There's just the pure sound. Let's make it a cough. <coughs> there. That's, and the second then is, oh, that's Roshi coughing, or that's a cough. And then the third then would be some ongoing little story about that in your, your imagination, and then on and on and on and on. A, sequ a sequence of nens are these uh, experience moments. Uh, it's like a train that uh, will take us away from the direct experience. So, And so it is that uh, the great Rinzai Roshi Linchi said, just learn to cut off successive Nen, and this is worth more than 10 years of pilgrimage. Well, that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing in sitting, daily sitting or sashin. We, they become, these successive Nen become more conspicuous when we're sitting eight, nine, ten or more hours a day. Then we can we can get in there, we can see how it works. The immediate experience, the pure, direct, simple hearing or, or smelling or feeling or even the thought. That's a thought itself can be first nen. And and by itself it won't cause any problems. It's the successive thoughts. It's the train of thoughts that takes us away from this essential nature, this, is, this original mind of ours.
So when he says, then with every thought, you are consulting infinite teachers, I would take that um, to mean at every moment, whatever our perceptions are, uh, the sound of a dog barking, there it is, perfect, perfect expression of the Dharma, perfect teaching. Ruff, 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 ruff. Just this. from Yuan Wu. Complete, tranquil, open, still. Such is the substance of the way. Expanding, contracting, killing, giving life. Such is its subtle function. This, uh, this is a, uh, a pairing uh, or a dyad of, uh, it's very common in Zen uh, texts, uh, Zen doctrine. There's the side of substance, uh, sometimes it's essence. There's the essence of, of things, and there's the function of the thing. And ultimately, they're not two, like, like two sides of a coin. You can't... Uh, separate the either the essence or the function from the reality. But when we talk about it, it can be some, some value in, in using these terms. But not clinging to them. You should refrain from dependence on anything at all, pure or impure. Then mindfulness and no-mindedness, views and no view, will be like a snowflake on a red-hot furnace. This is what uh, we have to always be vigilant about, is uh, getting attached that's, that's dependence, getting attached to something, some new thing we discover in our sitting. Um, some, the way I often hear it is some kind of a, a little gimmick that, that someone comes up with uh, that seems to be working. Um, or, let's see, I'm fishing around in my memory. Um, Okay, here's one that I got stuck in uh, way back when I was still working on move is sitting with my eyes wide, wide, wide open. Uh, it seemed to work. I mean, it did work. Uh, it kept me uh, free of thoughts. 
for a little while. Uh, I thought I'd really discovered something. But then it, uh, it doesn't continue to be effective, and then it becomes an attachment. And it's something unnatural. Why would we want to glom onto something like that? So from time to time, someone in Doksan will say, oh, I found this thing that I, I'm doing that really seems to help. I, I, I think I found something here. And I might say, well, I don't think it's advisable. Um, what, what? But I don't make an issue out of it because here's here's the wonderful thing about Zen practice: if it's if it's true, it is if it is in accordance with the way, the Dharma, then it won't pass. Otherwise, it will. Even if I were to say, yeah, keeping your eyes strained to keep your eyes wide open, uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, still, sooner or later, uh, the, the person, the sitter, uh, would see that that's not it either. It would kind of wash away. So if we're, if we're doing our, our earnest best effort then what is not in accordance with the way? What is what is the false? Let's call it the false. The false will uh, just get spent. It will it will be it will wash away. So there's there's no need to worry about doing something wrong for very long. And then mindfulness and no-mindedness views and no view will be like a snowflake falling on a red-hot furnace. Just passes in no time. That that image, a snowflake on a red-hot furnace, is one that uh, I first heard uh, from Roshi Kaplow quoting his main first main teacher, Harada Roshi. Uh, with respect to uh, anger, that uh, we may not be able to to stop anger from arising. Uh, it does tend to come unbidden on its own. Uh, but what we can do is not st- stick ourselves to it with thoughts, thoughts about the person who provoked us or the circumstances or the people uh, that's that's where uh, we it gets stuck to us, and then and then he would quote Roshi Kaplow would quote Harada Roshi saying, "It's not that the enlightened person doesn't get angry at times that experiences no anger, it's that it just doesn't last." And then he came forth with that example. It's like uh, s- snow falling on a furnace, a red hot furnace. It's there, but if it immediately melts, then what is it really? So I guess the question, how long 
does our anger last when something provokes us? Which really kind of means how long do we hold on to it? And speaking of anger, here's another one related to that. If people find fault with you and try to put you in a bad light, wrongly slandering and vilifying you, just step back and observe yourself. Don't harbor any dislike. Don't enter into any contests. And don't get upset, angry, or resentful. Just cut right through it and be as if you never heard or saw it. Eventually, malevolent pests will disappear of themselves. Well, that's fine if you can do it. <laughs> but uh, there's a danger in just suppressing anger, just white-knuckling it. We know this. Who doesn't know this? It, it tends to come out in other ways. I think there might be some distinction here between uh, an Asian advice on dealing with anger and what I think many of us as Westerners have found is more effective for us, for us which is to, first of all, notice it. Everything starts with noticing. First of all, notice uh, that anger is arising. Notice the physiological signs in yourself, shortness of breath, heart beating, palms maybe a little damp. Learn those things, and when you notice them, then you have some choice. There's a little, a little space that opens up there between the provocation and the reaction, one's reaction. And in that little space, that little daylight there, where you're noticing yourself getting angry, that's where we have some choice as to whether to react, whether to strike back verbally or otherwise, or not. think for most of us that that is going to work better in the long run than pretending uh, or acting as though we're unaffected by it. If you could, if you truly are unaffected by it, then great. His point is that if, if we do react, uh, then it, it, it leads to a spiraling situation that uh, ends up some all too often in with us regretting that initial reaction of ours. And he says here at the end, if you contend with them, that is, if you, if you uh, react, then a bad name will bounce back and forth with never an end in sight. So both parties of the argument uh, are stained by it. One more here. An ancient Zen master said that Zen is like learning archery. Only after long practice do you hit the bullseye. 
Enlightenment is experienced instantaneously, but Zen work must be done over a long time, like a bird that when first hatched is naked and scrawny, but then grows feathers as it is nourished until it can fly high and far. Therefore, those who have attained clear, penetrating enlightenment then need fine-tuning. Yeah, this is all through Zen teachings, is this emphasis on even enlightenment, which is hard enough to come to enlightenment. But even that is not the end. We have these emotional habit forces, these forces of, of reactivity, or, or even not reactivity, but just these, these uh, stains of the mind, these, these entrenched opinions and ideas and uh, false understanding. Uh, these take time, even after awakening take time to really um, wash away. Our time is up now. We'll stop and recite the four Bodhisattva vows. Uh, I've learned that, uh, I've been told that the, uh, the accelerando that I was doing for the sake of people in Chapin Mill who are sitting together and doing prostrations together. It just doesn't work uh, technologically. There's problems with the sound. So we'll just uh, end with, uh, after the four vows, we'll just end with the two vows. <clears throat>